Well, a happy Wednesday night, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors this week in hockey, along with my good pal and co-host Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario, as no hockey as of late because of that game that was postponed yesterday. Blues set to play against Colorado on Thursday, but if you haven't heard, Colorado had another positive case. Miko Rantanen came down with a COVID-positive test, so that game for Thursday, as of now, is set to play. Haven't heard anything from the league but more importantly joey v how have you enjoyed the last few days off my man it's been good alex it's good talking to you as always it's been weird not having a game and everything but it's been a wonderful reset for me and then getting around and seeing a lot of the kids sports and activities and helping out around the house as i'm sure a lot of players are probably excited about as well along with the coaches but you know we are looking forward to getting back and calling some games here relatively soon but yeah another postponed game that should happen on tuesday is going to get backed up and you know, maybe with Rantanen getting on the COVID list, and I know Donskoy's on there, and then, of course, uh, Grubauer, I don't think he's going to come off before the weekend either. Could be a pretty good time to be facing the Colorado Avalanche. An opportunity to pounce on him without question. Joe, you probably wish you would have kept that ice rink on your driveway when you woke up and found snow yesterday, am I right? Hey, man, I tell you what, I spent about 30 to 45 minutes yesterday covering up flower beds, Alex, because <laughs> my wife and I, we, we kind of got the jump on the flowers this year. We wanted to get our nice little annuals in there. And last week was a perfect week to do it. She was out there doing a wonderful job with it. And then of course the frost and the freeze comes last night. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, I'm getting some warnings from some freeze alerts and our landscaping guy said, you might want to cover up the sprinkler pipes. And I'm thinking, Oh, we should get out there and probably cover these up. So I spent the better half of yesterday, just kind of covering up plants and, and uh, wanted to kind of, I guess make sure that the work my wife put in was was lasting because you didn't want all those flowers to die. But yeah, the ring could have been the ring probably could have lasted yesterday. What a weird day! I mean, even even after it snowed, it melted within thirty minutes, and the sun was out, and it was pouring down rain, and we saw a rainbow and kind of a wacky day all around a little bit of everything the other day but that was certainly fun i'll tell you what's really strange joe is you know we i i don't i, I don't know if you're on facebook or not but you know they have those facebook memories of posts from years past and i'm getting a bunch of posts of you know oh game number three against the winnipeg jets tonight game number five of the winnipeg jets back in 2018 yes. 2019 yes. it is so strange for it to be april 21st in a still be talking about the regular season for the blues because right now we're already in postseason mode it's really weird i saw the uh, two-year anniversary the other day of Jaden schwartz's heroic goal during game one i'm sure you saw that as yeah. well where he bats yeah. it out of the air with under a minute to go and yeah it, it seems like it seems like a lifetime ago and and to think that hockey in the regular season is still happening right now and it's going to continue to get backed up which you know we can maybe hit on a little bit later alex but I just feel, without getting too derailed here, I just think this season is going to go beyond July. I think it really? has to. I mean, we're, we're at the point now where you're looking at Vancouver's schedule. They're playing to that third week of May, and that's without any more hiccups happening. You know, look at the St. Louis Blues team. They already have one more makeup that hasn't been on the schedule yet with Colorado. Do more happen because of more cases happening in Colorado with Ranton just coming across as positive the other day as well. So with, with the playoffs projecting to start around that second, third week in May, that's how it had. Now you're looking at probably a late May start. That's if nothing else kind of get trips up here. I just don't see how they're going to fit this in before that kind of early July mark, which they're were, they were hoping for before the Olympics kind of get going. I just think for the integrity of the playoffs, this thing doesn't get straightened out and nothing else happens. We're looking at to a mid to late July, maybe maybe even into August 
And I wouldn't be surprised if the league has started to reach out to these teams and asking about the availability of your rink around late July and early August, because timing wise, I just don't see how it's going to be, be able to happen any quicker. Well, let's run with that for a minute, Joe, because I mean, are we getting to the point where we really have to be talking about point percentage to be yes, a playoff yes. team? Because I mean, you look at it, let, let, let's hypothetically say Colorado is unable to play on Thursday. Now, again, that is not true it's not out there we just found out about the positive case all signs are pointing towards the blues playing tomorrow night but if for some reason colorado can't play on thursday that's another game that needs to be made up and you already had the one from tuesday being made up as of right now the blues last game of the season is what that that third week of may because they play the la kings they play the minnesota wild and then you would have to add on two more games so i mean are are we legitimately getting to the point where the nhl is going to say guys if this keeps happening we're going to have to go to a point percentage playoff situation i think they're at the tipping point now and i think that this is why there's starting to be some murmurs and rumblings about what the league is asking of these teams as far as their availabilities because they're they're playing for worst case scenario i think but we are at that tipping point now alex where i think if things stayed the way they are right now, I think that every team can get in those 56 games. It'll be later. It'll be pushed back a couple of weeks, but I think everyone will have the integrity to at least play all 56 and have a runway into the playoffs from there. Now, if it doesn't continue to go in a good direction and things start continue to pop up, at some point we will move past that tipping point for the league where they're going to have to make an announcement, I think, as far as it's just going to come down to winning percentage, and then this is going to be it. you got to set an end date if it's May 20th. May 20th is the last day. We're going to try to get as many games in for every team as possible. But at that point, it's going to come down to winning percentage. And believe it or not, Alex, I know some teams are going to get uh, the, the, the slight here. You know, look what happened to Buffalo last year in the bubble. Yeah. They got kind of screwed with Montreal. But believe it or not, if you ask the players, uh, they'd be fine with that. The players would be absolutely fine with that. Even if, the, you know, of course, there's going to be a couple teams that are going to get kind of slighted, and that's, that's just the reality of the business. But the majority of the teams are either out of the playoffs or – they're in the playoffs. There's only a few teams that are on the bubble. So the majority of the players were actually going to vote for that. Well, let's just do a percentage thing because they just want to get this thing moving, right? And then, not to mention, you know, you look at Vancouver, who, who if, they, if they continue to struggle, they'll be towards the bottom of the standings. I mean, let's look at Colorado, these makeup games. Do the St. Louis Blues and Colorado Avalanche really need these games to happen? Right. Let's say that the Blues grab that four spot and they're in a good spot. And they can. And, and Colorado, obviously, maybe got the number one or number two seed, so they're going to be fine. That L.A. game. L.A., let's, let's pretend that they have a rough no, next couple of weeks. Do we need to play that L.A. game? You know, what's going to come interesting, though, is if the Blues are like a point or two ahead of Arizona like they kind of are now where they're a point behind now, but let's say they're two or maybe three points ahead, then Arizona's definitely going to want the Blues to play those Colorado and L.A. Kings games, right? Because that that, that comes to a point where, you know, if, if the Avalanche got a couple of points on you or, or not so much – then, you, then those games become very valuable, not so much for the team that's playing it, but for the teams that are going to be watching it. So it, it, it's a crapshoot right now. I think that they're going to figure out a way to finish 56 games, back up the couple, couple weeks of the season to try to keep that integrity of everyone playing the right amount of games. But I do think we are we are at the void now. Like this is These next couple weeks are going to be extremely crucial if the league wants to keep that because we are one more team, I think, away or one more positive case in Vancouver, Colorado, or L.A. away from the league just saying, hey, listen, where hands are tied at this point, uh, it's just going to have to come down to percentage. And mm-hmm. maybe and maybe it's not league-wide either. You know, maybe it's just division. And like this yeah. specific division here, they've had problems. You know, you look at what happened to Minnesota earlier this year. They missed a boatload of games. Colorado's going through it. L.A. had their kind of hiccups. 
right? There's a lot of teams with Vegas as well. Yeah. So a lot of teams in this Pacific division. So maybe it just comes down to for the Pacific, it's going to come down to a winning percentage. Every other division is ready come May 16th. We're the only ones lagging behind. It's going to come down to a winning percentage. Or, or, I mean, this is even crazier. But what if what if around May 7th they do a complete reshuffle? Oh. And the top three teams, let's say it's Colorado, Minnesota, and Vegas, they're in. And let's say us, Kings, and Arizona do a six-game playoff, basically, because we're all around that mark, and they, we, we just fight it out, see who gets that fourth spot. I mean, to me, I think anything's up for grabs at this point man you talk about entertainment value joe i would be oh all in on that like imagine if that was the only division where yeah you took those three teams and even toss in san jose because san jose legitimately is only four points away with a game in hand on arizona you you put those four teams in and say okay it's best of three you go two and two and then there's a championship one and then from there or maybe you just go single elimination you go single elimination let's say it's blues and kings sharks and coyotes and then the champion of that gets into the postseason i mean that now i know some people the traditionalists the traditionalists would be like oh that waters down the postseason they don't deserve to be in i think that would be so much fun it's like a play-in round to get these guys in the games i'm telling you it'd be it'd be like what baseball does with that wild card game you know just having that one game right. and uh, they, they fight it out and it, it's exciting <laughs> and it would not surprise me because Listen, you can't you can't hold up the whole party because a couple stragglers are right. falling behind. Like the party has to continue. The party has to start on time. And and what's happening right now is that uh, the most of the league has really done a good job as far as taking care of it. The Pacific has had probably the biggest problems uh, aside from the Vancouver one, obviously. But listen, if if Vancouver if Vancouver is one holding the whole league up from starting playoffs two weeks, I mean to me. I just don't think that's re- reality. It's not realistic, and it's not. It's not. It's just not the right way to do things. So I understand that you got to play 56 games, and they're going to try to do that. But at some point, you have to pivot if things don't continue to improve. You know the one team that, and you're right, Joe, if you look at each division, if it comes down to point percentage, I don't think anybody would really be complaining. I mean, Arizona knows that there's three games in hand for the Blues that could probably overtake them. You know, the the East division, you know, the Rangers are the closest ones to being in the playoffs, and it's really six points away from Boston. And then, of course, the Canadian division, Vancouver's the out one, and I don't think there's any complaints or gripes from what we've been hearing there. The Central is the interesting one, though, because Nashville, Nashville has been one of the hottest teams as of late. They've they've catapulted themselves back into the playoffs, but so has the Dallas Stars. Now, Dallas has two games in hand on Nashville, but if it were to come down to point percentage, Dallas would be in the playoffs and Nashville would be the one outside looking in. If any team would have a gripe with it, it seems like it would be the Nashville Predators. Yeah, it would, especially because look at the fact right now, you know, the National Predators have won 25 games up to this point. Yeah. The Dallas Stars have won 19. I know they have two games in hand, but still that's six more victories that Nashville has pulled off to this point over the Dallas Stars. And now you're going to tell me the Dallas Stars are going to leapfrog <laughs> Nashville to get in. That that's that's where it becomes very interesting, but maybe if Dallas can make up those two games in hand, get to 47 like Nashville's at, and then you kind of reevaluate where things are but you know that's that's the only division i agree with you alex as i'm looking at them right now because like listen st louis would leapfrog arizona as they have a higher winning percentage than arizona and, and guess what i'm not saying this because i'm i have bias <clears throat> excuse me i'm not saying this i'm biased but st louis is a better playoff team oh than the arizona 100%. coyotes you know 
if you're Vegas, if you're Colorado, and if you're Minnesota, you are hoping that Arizona gets in. You want to play Arizona because they have not been tested. It's a group that has not gone the distance. And if you're Vegas, it sits in that number one seed right now, and that can kind of flip flop with Colorado and it continue to will. But if you're Vegas or Colorado, your first round, you definitely, without question, want to fight Arizona. Yeah, 100%, Joey V. Well, let's do this, buddy. Let's take a break and come back. we got a fun show for you tonight. We're going to get into the Blues playoff scenarios because Joe believes there's a clear path for the Blues still to get into the playoffs. And, of course, we'll get into kind of what went wrong for the team on Saturday against the Arizona Coyotes. Got a couple of news and notes to touch on around the NHL. And then we're going to bring you some of the ceremonies from the, the celebration of life for Bobby Plager that took place over the weekend. I know some Blues fans were able to watch it on YouTube, streaming for the Blues web website but they held a great memorial service for bobby plager with some incredible speeches we're going to bring you some of those a little bit later on tonight here for the boardwalk hardwood floors this week in hockey we'll take a break come back joey v and i will get into the blue struggles as of late here on your home for the blues 101 espn Back in here on a Wednesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Blues scheduled to play Colorado tomorrow night, a 7 o'clock puck drop from Enterprise Center. I will have your pregame festivity starting at 6 o'clock as the Blues have a little bit of a homestand here and, of course, taking on a Colorado Avalanche team, but a depleted Colorado Avalanche team that will not have Philip Grubauer, will not have Jonas Donskoy, and it looks like they won't have their leading goal scorer in Miko Rantanen. So, Joe, we just talked about the playoff situations a little bit. We talked about the point percentage and how that could kind of sway some things in the NHL. But I'm curious because before you and I got on the air, you said you think you have kind of an idea and you feel pretty confident about the Blues making the playoffs. I do as well. I really feel like this team is is – you know, one game away from kind of breaking through their struggles. And it seems like the playoffs seems like it's pretty close, but what's your thoughts right now on the playoff situation? You know, Alex, I'll be honest with you. Do I like the way the blues are playing? No. Do I think they're playing good enough to compete hard in the playoffs? No. I mean, if the playoffs are right now, and let's just say they were ahead of Arizona and they had a face of Vegas golden Knights, Geez, that's a yeah. that's a tall order. And then even if you get through them, and then let's say it's a face Colorado. To me, I don't know if you're playing well enough. You, you you certainly can. This team can put it together, but they're not doing it right now. So I don't like it necessarily. I don't like the Blues' chances necessarily for getting in and doing well this year because of them. I think the Blues will make the playoffs this year more so because of how the other teams around them are doing just as bad. Does that does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes a lot Where, of sense. You know, you look at you look at there's been plenty of opportunity in the last two weeks for the Arizona Coyotes to leapfrog the Blues. I mean, the Blues at one point had a five point lead on Arizona that was decimated. Arizona went on a little bit of a run. They actually leapfrogged the Blues. Then the Blues went on a little bit of a run. They won three games and they kind of closed the gap. And then Blues went off on, on a really bad stretch. But guess who else kept losing? Arizona kept losing. They lost again the other night when they could have actually created more of a cushion for themselves. But now they have three games at hand with only one point ahead of the Blues. They could have gone up by three points with three games at hand, but they continue to kind of lose away from St. Louis. Look at the San Jose Sharks. Again, a team with two games at hand on St. Louis has had plenty of opportunity with a three with a three uh, point gap cushion underneath the St. Louis Blues. Plenty of opportunities to leapfrog the Blues, but they just haven't done it. They've lost a lot lately as well, and so have the LA Kings. So it's amazing in the schedule, and, and this is at some point is going to come to a head 
because pretty soon those teams are going to be playing each other a lot where two points, someone will have to get two points. But over the last stretch of games, Arizona's played a lot of teams in the top three. We've played a lot of teams in the top three. And San Jose's played a lot of teams in that top three. And guess who's winning all those? The top three teams. So uh, while the Blues have struggled, the other teams around them that are chasing them have struggled as well. And I just can't see Arizona, LA, or excuse me, Arizona or San Jose really playing good enough hockey to catch the St. Louis Blues. Now, Alex, I want your thoughts on this one because this one is the sneaky one. I know right now that LA with um, just three points behind the Blues, right? They're kind of hanging around Anaheim. You think you've kind of forgotten about them, right? LA is just three points behind the Blues. Excuse me, no, I'm sorry, four points behind the Blues. They have four points behind the Blues, but they have the exact same games in hand, right? Each team has played 43 games, and LA is, tra- is trailing by just four points. The Blues have had a rough time against LA this year. I think this is a very well-coached team, and I think they really can make a splash. So that, to me, LA is going to be the sneaky one. They just beat the Ducks the other night. They have Minnesota, then they have Arizona this weekend. And then guess what? They play the Ducks four more times to end April and then the start May, right? And then the Arizona Coyotes again for two more. They're not playing the juggernauts of the Vegas Golden Knights. They're done with Vegas. They have two more against the Colorado Avalanche. And one more against Minnesota, but then they have so many against the worst team in the division in the Anaheim Ducks. So to me, LA, which is four points behind the Blues with the same amount of games, that to me is if there's one team that I think is really going to challenge the Blues, I don't think it's Arizona. I don't think they're good enough. I don't think they're deep enough. And I, of course, do not think it's San Jose, given they just cannot win a game even against the Ducks. <laughs> but I think it could be LA. I think LA is going to be that sneaky team at the very end, and they're going to start making some hay over the next couple of weeks where you're going to be like, oh, my God, where the heck did L.A. come from? And if you remember those games this year, they have not been cakewalks or walks in the park whenever the Blues faces L.A. Kings team. Well, and that goes back to what you had told me at the beginning of the season where you and I did this show, and you said you truly believe one California team will be in the playoffs this year. And I was kind of like, boy, what are you talking about, Joe? But, I mean, you're not wrong. Two of the three legitimately have a shot at getting into the playoffs. But L.A., you're right. I think they do give the Blues a major challenge. And to kind of go along with that point that you made, it gets even tougher for the Blues, one, because you're playing in L.A. And if you look at it this season, the Blues haven't had a lot of success playing in L.A. They've won a game. They've lost two games, one in overtime, one in regulation. But the Blues are playing in L.A. after they play two games back-to-back against the Vegas Golden Knights. So basically, there's three games in four nights, and the day off on Sunday would be traveling from Vegas to L.A., and you're playing the Kings on that Monday night. That is not going to be an easy schedule, and that's kind of why, if you look at that last stretch, yes, the Colorado games are important, but those four against Minnesota— And then the two against Anaheim, those are important in my opinion because you have days off in between. And then it's those Kings and Minnesota games towards the end of the season because those are the ones that may make or break your year. I mean, you can go back to that uh, the 17-18 season, Joe, where the Blues missed out on one point. That kind of resembles what the Blues might be going up against against the Kings and the Minnesota Wild that last week of May. Exactly. I mean, I was looking at that last game on the 10th. That is LA's last official game. Now the Blues have one more on the 12th, as you just said, because of that makeup game that was postponed from Monday. But that LA Kings game on Monday the 10th, something about maybe, maybe, maybe record this or mark this, Alex. But yep. that that game on Monday the 10th, to me, it seems like that's going to be a big one, like way bigger than we originally thought at the beginning of the year. We just probably thought, oh, that rescheduled game 
could be just kind of up in the air. A lot of people were saying it may even get canceled because LA right. was doing so bad. Remember, we were like five, six points ahead of everyone else in that four spot. So why even go to LA and play that game? I think that game is going to have massive implications on who gets in and who gets out. And it's going to be between those two teams that are going to be playing on May 10th. But, but to your point and to your point about the strength of schedule, starting that week of uh, April 25th, for the Minnesota Wild, or excuse me, for the um, LA Kings, starting on April 25th, that last week in April, that whole week, they have four games. They play all four games against the Anaheim Ducks. LA versus Ducks for four straight, starting on April 25th and ending May 1st. The Blues, they have four games that week, starting April 25th, ending May 1st. But their four, four games are not against the Ducks. They're against the Minnesota Wild. Now, I've liked that I've liked that matchup a lot this year. So that, to me, is a lot better than a Colorado or Vegas matchup. But you look at the, you look at the strength of teams, that L.A. now has four in a row against the worst team in the division. And now the Blues, although I like the matchup so far this season, are going to be facing a very red-hot team that's really starting to find their groove again in the Minnesota Wild. So those four games alone, I mean, those are eight points up for grabs for both teams. To me, that could be your make or break uh, up to this point in the entire season. I know there's a few games sprinkled in before that week, but that really could be the deciding week to me about L.A. or St. Louis and who gets in. I agree 100% with that one, Joe, which is why it kind of makes this matchup against Colorado intriguing, yes, but it's not the end-all, be-all for this Blues team because it does seem like there are some more games that are going to matter to the Blues moving forward. Uh, a couple on the Blues I wanted to talk with you about, Joe, because this is the first time we've been able to talk since that uh, Arizona loss over the weekend. A tough one, probably the toughest one for the Blues up to this point because that was a meaningful 1-1 but it also had those days off in between. But it was such a weird schedule to where the Blues thought that they were playing against Minnesota, then that game was postponed, and they played Colorado, then they went out and they played Arizona again. But it comes down to the second period, and it's an area we've been talking so much about. What are you seeing right now, Joe? Because from from my perspective, it just seems like the Blues have lost that, that killer mentality in the second period that they had so much last year. You know, up to about three weeks ago, I think the Blues, about, about three weeks ago, the biggest problems they were having, they were ha- Alex, they were having terrible starts in the game. They weren't starting on time, and they were always allowing that first goal, right? And that's something from that uh, Vladimir Tarasenko goal a couple weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, the first one of the game, almost 35 seconds into the game. That was the first time I think the Blues led in a game for a very long time, start, or at least started the game with the first goal. So since that point, the Blues have done a much better job taking care of the first period. So, you know, this is how teams work. This is how locker rooms are and coaching staffs are. When there's a problem, you have to correct the problem, right? So the problem yeah. was the Blues were having bad starts, and we were always allowing that first goal. We were always trailing. We were always chasing the game. Where's on the team? Can't you have the energy? You can't run four lines. So we got to get out of the lead. We got to have a good start. So Craig Bruby and the team did just that. They corrected the problem. They decided we need to have better starts, and they did that. They started to score more goals, and they weren't chasing the game. But, but listen, the game, there's always going to be hiccups, and there's always going to be improvements. Now, even though the starts have been great, like we saw in Arizona a couple nights ago, now the second period is kind of wearing off a little bit. So now for this coaching staff and for this team, it really just comes from the understanding that our starts have been good, but now we got to put 60 minutes together. And it's just a process, right? So for, for this team to continue to move forward and to evolve and continue to improve, 
It has to be the starts have to continue the way they are, but we have to put the pedal down in the second period and we have to learn how to finish games. You definitely don't want to go into have a good two periods and then let up in the third. This has got to be a group effort. It's got to be an amazing amount of focus and uh, the team identity has to be there um, to, to a point where you're having those starts and you're backing up with the better second period and then you're finishing the other teams off that comes with a little bit of confidence. I think the confidence was starting to come there for the St. Louis blues. It may have veered off the road a little bit, but for this team, you hope that that game could be a great uh, game underneath the microscope to say, okay, now we have a new issue. The starts have been good. The second periods have been dog, dog poop, but let's go out here and let's make that our focus. Now, now we know the starts are going to be good. Let's maybe regroup after that first intermission saying, guys, the second periods have been bad. Now we need to definitely refocus. To me, it's just one of those games that you put on a magnifying glass, you really see it, it really stings, but that really could help you propel you moving forward if you recognize it and then you have that leadership group inside that locker room which the Blues have to improve on it, move forward in a positive way. So, Joe, I'm curious from a player's perspective because, you know, we've heard Craig Berube use the phrases soft, mentally weak, uh, describing this Blues team in certain areas, and he used it again Saturday against the Coyotes. From a player's point of view, and I don't feel like Craig Berube is doing this in terms of, you know, like John Tortorella ask of, you know, shaming these guys. I think he's honestly calling what he's seeing, and he's talking to these guys about it. But... Does that ever get lost from players when a coach says that, or do do players not even pay attention to what he's saying? You know, I, I don't think players pay attention all that much, Alex. To be honest with you, I mean, unless it's something that is makes wild social media. Like the players don't read the newspapers. The players aren't watching the you know the, the broadcast after the game or listening yeah. to the fourth period. They, they just the, the game's over and they're moving on. But you know, the the one area where I will say that players do recognize things is through social media. And a lot of times uh, if something is, is said by a coach that is very impactful or makes a lot of noise, that will attract people for social media and then it'll be put out on that platform. And that's where people, players will see that. Now, I don't think Craig Berube has said anything this year that is like really NHL feed social media worthy where the players would kind of go in there and grab it or feel it. Right. So I, I don't think the players here, 96, 97%, of anything Craig Berube even says after the post game. But, but even if they did, I think that Craig does such a good job where he does it in such a positive way where he's being honest. Uh, there's integrity behind what he's saying. He's not being phony and he's not covering up something. He is recognizing a part of the issue, but he's also not saying that these guys are just horrible. They suck and that we're going to trade them like that. That to me, where the players were really, you really digging at the character of the players. And that's when you can really lose a team. But I listen, I, I think that, you know, if you were to ask, you know, let's just say Vladimir Tarasenko or, uh, you know, Braden Shen, who's been a little slow lately, who had a great start to the season, hasn't scored in a while. You know, he'd be the first one to tell you that he's got to get things going. And, you know, for Craig to sit there and say that, I think Braden actually respects that because he knows it and the coach knows it. And he's not doing it to, you know, ridicule, ridicule or embarrass or punish the player in the media. He's just saying what it is. And for Braden Shen, these guys are professionals and, and they're going to go out there and they're going to do it the best they can as far as try to improve it. But, uh, but to me, Alice, that, that definitely – is probably the highlight of what the blues have have not done very well lately and they need to improve on to make a big push this last month and that is simply their best players have to start being productive not playing well because they're playing well i think they're having some really good stretches like we've seen Jaden schwartz move the puck good go to the net hard he's had a couple of chances missed an empty net hit a pipe tyler bows like hit a pipe the other day vladdy's been having a lot of attempts in that as well they're playing well they're playing hard but the best players just haven't been as productive 
as this team needs to be. I mean, you look at the highlights. People love the highlights on NHL.com, and it's always for the Edmonton Oilers. You just see McDavid across the score sheet <laughs> yeah. all the time. I was watching the Sidney Crosby and the Penguins last night. Crosby's in on so many goals, right? The best players, they have to be productive. The Boston Bruin, Marshawn line, they're always in the mix. They're always on the score sheet, right? And that's just something that has really gotten away from this team. So from a productive standpoint, it's just where the best players need to continue to be productive. That That's the biggest thing because they're playing well. They're playing hard. They need a couple more bounces, and they really need that uh, self-esteem and self-confidence to really move forward in a good direction to help this team out. Yeah, I loved Craig Berube's uh, uh what he told the media, what he told Shin, basically, he said, we need to get a puck that goes off of your butt, your foot, something like that, just to get the confidence rolling. So hopefully we'll get to see that uh, tomorrow night against this Avalanche team. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. A really cool moment in hockey over this past uh, couple of days. It was actually on Monday. Uh, I want to get into some of that with Joe and just kind of what it meant uh, to that player because I know he's played against him multiple times. So we'll dive into that coming up next here on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors this week in hockey here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Wednesday night, Alex Ferrario with you along with Joe Vitale. It is our Boardwalk Hardwood Floors This Week in Hockey show comes your way every week throughout the season, talking Blues hockey, talking NHL, and of course getting Joe Vitale's thoughts throughout the season. As I wanted to get into a really cool moment that took place on Monday in the NHL, history made. By the way, stick around with us in our next segment because we're going to do something a little different. If you missed the Bobby Plager ceremony that took place over the weekend, it was streaming on the Blues YouTube channel, on their Twitter account. Um, we're going to bring you some of those uh, those conversations that were at the at the ceremony uh, from Kelly Chase, from Brett Hall, from Rob Ramage. So stick around. You'll hear some of that Bobby Plager celebration memorial service coming up in just a bit. But, Joe, let's talk Patrick Marlowe because he has now set the record for most games played in the National Hockey League, overtaking Gordie Howe. And let's just start with with the player that Patrick Marlowe is, because I know you never played with him, but you've played against him. And I mean, he, along with a guy like Joe Thornton are some of the most respected guys in the game right now, aren't they? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing what Patrick has done for the game and a wonderful moment for hockey and for sports in general to see what him stepping on the ice and, and overtaking Gordy Howe, which that in itself is, is, is unreal. But, uh, you know, what he's done for the game and how he's handled the game with such professionalism and class, to me, that's what that's what sets players like him apart. You know, him and Joe Thornton, they kind of were cut from the same cloth. You know, of course, the one-two you know, draft picks from that 97 draft class, of course, number one, Joe Thornton going to Boston, number two, going to San Jose, and Patrick Marleau. They ended up playing together so much in San Jose. And they're just – I love the old school about them. They, they, they played hard. They, they played with integrity. They weren't mouthy. They weren't showboats. They just played the game hard, and they loved the game. You know, Alex, I'm sure you saw it, but his post-game interview after he beat Gordy Howe's record, that to me says it all. I mean, the emotions he was feeling because of just loving the game, you know, asking why do you keep showing up to the rink. I just I just love the game. That's why he does it, and he played that way. He played like he loved the game every single night, and that's what you really have to respect, especially a day and age now with social media and, millennials taking over the league and young guys with their flash and their their crazy suits and and so much about it today is just everything but the game which you know i still love aspects of that but but him he was always just about the game he reminded me a lot of bobby plager in the sense that he played hard for his teammates he played hard for his fans and, and one thing that bobby played with it i think patrick really embodied as well is he never cheated the fans that's that to me is a really important thing to always remember because these players out here now they're making millions of dollars 
don't cheat the fans, don't cheat your teammates, go out there and play as hard as you can. And Patrick always, always did that. And to me, I think that that's why he will be uh, in the Hall of Fame one day, uh, as, as well as many other things that uh, he's done in his career. But an amazing thing to play with a player like that. He, he just played hard. He was tough to play against. He was heavy on face-offs, tough to move. And uh, he wasn't – he was chippy, but he never took it over the line where he'd whack you, hack you, but he'd never be mouthy. Just play the game with class, and, and that's what I'll miss most about playing alongside of him. It's crazy, Joe, because I'm looking at these numbers, and, I mean, look, to play the game of hockey, you got to keep yourself in immaculate shape. But to play the game of hockey and not miss games, like you got to be molded from something different. I'm looking at Patrick Marlowe from 2009 all the way up until this current season. Listen to these numbers. 82 games played, 82, 82, 48, 82, 82, 82, 82, 58, uh, 53 currently he never missed any games from 2009 on that's not an easy thing to do when you are 41 years old so i mean you're talking about from 32 to 41 this guy's not missing any hockey games i know and it's even funnier as you look at some of those later years like remember when we got traded to toronto yeah you know back in 2017 this is let's see one two three four five six seven Eight. This is nine years in a row he hasn't missed a game. He goes to Toronto in that 82-game season. He put 27 goals, 47 <laughs> points in that 82-game season. I mean, he followed up with another 16-goal affair after that for Toronto, and then he goes back to San Jose, and his numbers started to slip. I think injuries started to kind of creep in a little bit more back in 2019. But it's amazing. It's amazing what he has continued to do. And, you know, you're right, staying healthy through all of it. You know, it's one thing for, like, a, a suitor to stay healthy, a defenseman. But when you're, when you're a centerman, like like Patrick Marlowe has played, he's played a little bit of wing, but for the most part, he's been a centerman. You're all over the place. I mean, you're that Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly type where you're playing defense, you're playing offense, you're blocking shots, you're killing penalties. I mean, he has put his body in front of so much. And for a centerman to play that much and that long and that consistent, again, it just it speaks to his, his mental shape, it speaks to his uh, physical shape, and how he just continued to thrive because at the end of the day, he just did one thing probably better than anyone in the game right now, and it's just he loved the game. You know, I feel like this is a crazy question to ask because somebody already did break the record, but do you see somebody breaking Patrick Marlowe's record, Joe? I actually do. I, I know I, I, it's a crazy one. There, there's some records that I just don't think can be touched, and I still believe that Wayne Gretzky's all-time goal record will not be beat by Ovechkin. I just I can't see that happening. Yeah. You know, I don't think that will be touched. That's going to be close, but the point one will never be touched for Wayne Gretzky. The goal one, I don't think Ovechkin will get to. Those, to me, are kind of the untouchable ones. I think that the Ironman, which we will see, I think Keith Yandel will get to the Ironman streak. And then at that point, I don't think anyone will ever touch Keith Yandel's uh, record. This one, this one's a little bit different just for the sense that these players are starting younger and younger. You know, when, when Patrick Marlowe came into the league, you know, he was, I think 20, I think he was around 20, I want to say. So, you know, if you look at a Connor McDavid who came in the league, I think at 18, you know, some, some of these kids are coming in so young and the way the game's changing, Alex, with the, the, the physicalities being, you know, brought down, the stick checks are being brought down. I think players are going to continue to be healthier and healthier. So they're starting younger and there's less penalties and the, and the game isn't as physical. So I think longevity wise, 
you can see like a Connor McDavid or a player like that come into the league very early, play a very long career. And I actually think that someone in our lifetime will actually be Patrick Marlowe. But for the Ironman, the points, the goals, those to me are the untouchable ones. This one I think actually can't happen. That's really cool. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We're going to come back and just give our thoughts on Bobby Plager, whose ceremony of celebration took place this past weekend. And then uh, you're going to hear some of that from his uh, memorial service that took place on Sunday. We'll come back and wrap things up with Boardwalk Hardwood Floor this week in hockey here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Final time here tonight on This Week in Hockey, which is presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario. Wanted to wrap up with Bobby Plager because over this past weekend, his memorial service took place. They drove the hearse with Bobby Plager down Market Street, the same path that he took on his Stanley Cup celebration. And I know a lot of people missed the opportunity to see the ceremony that took place inside Enterprise Center. It was a small ceremony for family and friends. And they streamed it live on YouTube so that fans could pay close attention. So we're going to bring you some of those speeches from that. But Joe, I just wanted to get quick comments from you just uh, before we got to these interviews of just that ceremony, because not only was it a a heartfelt and touching ceremony, hearing the speeches from Kelly Chase and Rob Ramage and Barrett Jackman, but it was really cool how the Blues put that performance on. The only way that Bobby wanted to go out was with a party, and they did that for him. Yeah, it was amazing, and it's extremely well done by Trevor Nickerson, the whole Blue Note crew. Uh, Chris Kerber, you know, did a wonderful job kind of orchestrating the whole thing and bringing people in and out. Uh, the wonderful things that people said. I mean, people you don't hear about very often. Mike Crusoe, who leads the PR department, the St. Louis Blues, had some wonderful stories, and yeah. Mike is such a funny guy, and it was so great to see him up there and kind of get his moment to share some stories of Bobby because they were extremely close. Uh, to me, the thing that tied it in together was just – you know, hear from Kelly Chase. I think that those two just created such a bond and just really embody blues hockey, such a deep friendship. And, and Kelly is such a passionate speaker and he tells such great stories. And he says it with such sincerity and honesty and, and his stories there at the end really tied it all together for me. So it was a wonderful celebration, a wonderful night and a great way to send off Bobby Plager, in my opinion. I thought so, too. And again, I love the fact that they they took that hearse down the same path as his Stanley Cup championship parade path, and I thought that was a really cool. And then fans being outside, doing stick taps as he drove by. I loved everything that they did to celebrate a wonderful man, not just for the St. Louis Blues fans, but for the city of St. Louis. So sit back, take a listen to some of those speeches that uh, Joey mentioned. First up, Kelly Chase, as you heard Joey mention, a uh, incredible relationship between the two so here's the former st louis blue his speech for bobby plager and when that team gets together we talk about winning but there was only one guy that could have coached that group to a championship and that's exactly what he did bobby had come to my hometown in the summertime he he He'd put the docks in with me. We lived on a lake, and water was cold. And Bobby come from a tough town, but he would come back with me, and it was my time with him and my kids, you know. And he get right in the water. It was colder than hell. He'd get in there and didn't want anyone to think that they were stronger than him. And we'd put the docks in, and then we'd go to the local tavern in town and he tells me he says I'm, I'm gonna Bobby wasn't drinking he said I'm gonna have some beer here with you I said I don't think that's a good idea you know we gotta 
town of farmers and loggers and railroad guys, and I didn't need Bobby Draken. <laughs> and I said, uh, I don't think that's a good idea. He goes, no, no, it'll be our secret. It's just going to happen here. Don't worry about me. I won't have any more when I get back there. So one day he orders, we go to this little, the only bar in town. It's got a little steak pit, and Bobby orders himself. He says, I'll have a Budweiser. And I said, hey, bud, I don't think that's a good idea. He goes, don't worry about me. And he knocks it back and orders another one. We ordered our steaks. Bobby has three or four beer. And I'm getting kind of nervous because he's having a few beers, and I know he's up to something. And he turns around and he says to the entire bar, he says, listen up. And the whole bar kind of turns and looks at this guy. And I turn, and I'm scared of what's coming. And he says, I just want everybody in this place to know that I'm the toughest son of a bitch in this place. And if anybody has anything to think about it, I'm going to be right here all night. And I am like, oh, my God. I don't know whether to laugh. I don't know whether to warm the car up. I don't know whether to call Twister and say, I don't know how quick you can fly up here, but we're, we got trouble. And he just, he looked over at me, and he had that smirk, you know, laugh on his face. And I'm like, I cannot believe you just did that. And they loved it. And of course, he made friends with everybody before he, he left the place, and it, was, it actually was hilarious. But he loved rubbing that into me. He goes, don't you think I didn't grow up in a tough town? And I'm like, Lord knows, I should have known that. So my son Luke, a couple weeks ago, was heading to spring break with Ray Lynn, and he informed her that he was getting a tattoo. He said, Mom, I'm getting a tattoo. When I turn 18, I'm getting a tattoo. And she said, well, I don't think it's a good idea. And he said, no. Bobby had this number five that he had put on a casino chip, and he gave it to Butchie and Jax and Rammer, and the guys that wore five got this special token. And Luke, Luke got one from Bobby, and he was so proud of this thing. He was like, hey, he goes, no, I know what I'm getting. I'm getting a five. And he said, I know what I'm getting with it, too. Like, I know what it's going to say and everything. So he had it all planned out. So you can imagine four days later when we got to tell the kid that Uncle Bobby had passed. It didn't happen before then. It wasn't the sympathy of the loss. It was happening before Bobby passed. And that's what the impact that this guy had on so many people. And many have talked about the parade and I thank the young men that are here in the suites that were able to bring the cup to St. Louis because obviously it changed our city and it was something that Bobby was extremely proud about. And the city loved him and he loved him back. But Mike Caruso made, him, made the best point in my opinion. We shouldn't wait to honor the good players and most importantly, the great human beings. So retiring Bobby Plager's jersey in the rafters with bark while Bobby was alive to honor and thank him personally for all he's done for this franchise and for this city is single-handedly the greatest thing that this organization has ever done. They say in order to succeed, you got to have three bones. You got to have a wishbone. Bobby wished to play in the NHL. And never once did he wish for the St. Louis Blues not to succeed. And Brett and I were talking about the impact that he made in the city of St. Louis. And he said, Chaser, this just sucks. Hull, he said, listen, 
When I go, buddy, I just want to have a big party and a bonfire, and you can just set me in it, and just let everybody party and just have a big party and a fire. I said, first of all, I'm tired of planning parties for you. And secondly, we ain't going to need any lighter fluid, that's for sure. But I think Bobby would have liked that. And he needed that funny bone. That's the second bone, and he had it. No matter what was going on personally, he always had a joke. Always knew how to make people feel better. We had to take an HR class on, of course, what was acceptable and not acceptable in the workplace and what was offensive and not offensive. And we went through the class, and Bobby was there. And at the end, they told us that there was going to be a test, but take a 15-minute break. Go get yourself some coffee or water. Use the washroom. So I was standing in the hallway with Bobby. The instructor came over, the teacher, and he was standing talking to us. And this young girl walked out with a skirt on, and she walked by, and she was coming at us, and she was walking by, and she smiled. And Bobby was looking at her, and he was looking at me, and he looked at the instructor, and she went in the washroom, and he looked at the instructor, and he said, Can I go? And the guy said, What? He said, Can I leave now? And the instructor said, Bobby, I just told you we we're going to do a test. He said, oh, I thought that was the test. <laughs> we were cracking up laughing. But honestly, I'm a charity guy. I love doing charities, and I love doing charity auctions. I think one, we got the assistance fund thing going. We were talking about the curbs talked about. I think one of the greatest, most, and the last one's backbone, Bobby's a man's man. And that offends people sometimes when you say that today. In a world of cancel culture and concern for everybody offending somebody in the era of everybody getting a blue ribbon. But not Bobby. He told you the way it was. He knew how to be respectful. He knew how to hold doors for people. When to and not to wear a hat when to bring back some of those old cultural virtues that were important, that made people respect him. And one thing you can count on was he was going to give it to you the truth. He was going to give it to you exactly the way it was. And he'd punch you in the arm. He'd say, hey, guy. And there's a huge void here because when you come to these events here and you come to this rink and the sweet door opens, you expect to turn around and see him. You expect to run into him at the elevator or down the locker room or to have about 15 people behind him so you could get autographs for them and pictures with them or whatever it was. But I've heard people refer to Brett Hull as the Mickey Mantle of St. Louis Blues. And it's very easy to say that if Hully's the Mickey Mantle of the Blues, then Bobby Plager is most definitely the Babe Ruth of hockey in this town. And that is going to wrap it for us tonight here on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors This Week in Hockey. If you missed any of that ceremony and you want to go back, head over to St. Louis Blues website, stlouisblues.com, as you'll be able to go and watch that entire ceremony. Or if you missed any of the show tonight, you can check the podcast out at 101ESPN.com. Joe and I will be back with you tomorrow night, along with Chris Kerber, Blues and Avalanche. Puck drop is at 7. I will have your pregame festivity starting at 6. 
6, and you'll hear that action right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.